history. And our history. Thanks for listening to the Mystery in Our History podcast, where we take an in-depth look at all things urban legend and conspiracy theory related and how they came to be. I'm JR. That's Chris. Here we go. Hey, Chris, I have a question for you. Yo. Uh, do you like Big Shaq, the musical artist, not the basketball player? Yes. I mean, I like both. Definitely like both. But Big Shaq was one of my favorite memes of 2017. Okay, because I have actually um, some quick maths for you. Nice. Okay. Uh, so that's we're going to do some quick maths to prepare for this week's episode. <laughs> so here's the equation. Okay. X equals ancient burial ground plus a prison. <laughs> I don't know. Go ahead and shoot me that answer. Okay. The answer <laughs> is too ghosts. Quick. Ghost. Okay. The answer is X ghosts. X equals ghosts. Yes. Wait. X equals ghosts because we are looking at another haunted prison. And more specifically, the Moundsville State Penitentiary in West Virginia. Okay. So let's jump into our time machine and travel way back to where it all started. Yeah, I mean, good old West Virginia has it all. They have cryptids, haunted prisons, mm-hmm. everything. They have it all. All right, so in about 250 to 150 B.C., members of the Adena culture moved more than 60,000 tons of dirt to create the Grave Creek Mound, one of the largest conical-type burial mounds in the United States. Fast forward a few hundred years, thousand years almost, (laughs) um, (laughs) to the Civil War. Okay? Okay. West Virginia secedes from Virginia in 1863. And the new state was in immediate need of public institutions. That includes prisons. So building these places would take time and money. And so West Virginia Governor Arthur Borman lobbied the new West Virginia legislator for a state penitentiary, but was repeatedly denied. As a result, prisoners were held in existing county jails or sent to institutions outside of the state. But not to Virginia who was still angry about the separation and barred West Virginia from using their facilities with a big old fuck-off. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. That's Absolutely. like moving out of mom's house without having anything lined up. You're just like, <laughs> fuck it, I'm moving out, but mm-hmm. like you don't have an apartment lined up or anything. It's like, I mean, moving, I definitely... it's like moving out of your parents' house while telling them to go fuck themselves. Right, And exactly. then asking if you can do laundry there. Right, it's just like, <laughs> hell no, you can't do laundry. No way, get the fuck out of here. You stormed out, pal. So many of the criminals were jailed in small structures, uh, in a small structure in nearby Wheeling, but it quickly became overcrowded, and in 1865, nine inmates actually escaped. Afterward, the state legislator finally took action in February of 1866 
and approved the purchase of land in Moundsville for the building of a state prison. The 10-acre site was convenient as it was just about 12 miles south of Wheeling, which was the state capital at the time. So, taking about a year to solve the problem, first off, like, good job, boys. That, uh, I know, right? <laughs> Jesus, dude. Just letting your criminals run free until we figure it out. Like, maybe we should get a real prison built up. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> so that summer, a temporary wooden prison was built that sur- was surrounded by a wooden stockade that housed the prisoners, which is hilarious. Yeah, wood, right? In the meantime, officials worked with architects on the design of a new prison. They chose a Gothic-style design that was similar to the 1858 Northern Illinois Penitentiary at Joliet. I can't. I couldn't even get it out. Penitentiary. The building would have... Uh, would be constructed of stone, complete with turrets, battlements, and lancet windows, giving it the appearance of a fortress. Dude, that but like a wooden fort, like a wooden prison though, like <laughs> God, dude, like I know. It, it's the first time I've ever heard of one. So I'm guessing wooden prisons are probably not a thing that is good at holding prisoners. I would assume not, all. because like at yeah. some point, if you just get something sharp enough, you'll eventually get through it. You just saw right through, or yeah. eventually a chip away, or whatever. Like with a it's rock. Just you can just get a rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, constructed with the help of inmate labor, just like the one in uh, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. the first structure was built, um, or the first structure that was built was the North Wagon Gate, made with hand-cut sandstone quarried from a local site. Work on the first phase of the prison continued until 1876 when it was completed at a total cost of $363,061, which is roughly $843,279.07 in today's money, but who's counting? Yeah. It's good, you know, good old before the Fed, before inflation money, just, uh, (laughs) you know... The north and south cell block areas both measure 300 by 52 feet. The north wing was initially used as a kitchen, dining room, and a chapel before additional cells were gradually added in 1890s. In between the cell blocks is a four-story administration building that included space for the female inmates on the third floor and personal living quarters for the warden and his family on the fourth floor. The second floor served as a hospital. And the stone walls are five feet thick at the base, tapering to two and a half feet at the top. So just rolling back there, the warden's keeping all the female prisoners, the floor below him, huh? Yep. All right. He's got his warden's family being... on the fourth floor <laughs> and all his his harem of succubi <laughs> and the floor just below being... him. What a rascal of a warden there, huh? He, I'm sure, was a dirty, dirty man. Probably. I mean, bef- yeah. Yeah, he was definitely a dirty man. The facility officially opened in 1876, at which time it housed 251 inmates, some of whom had helped to build the prison. Afterward, more facilities, workshops, and outbuildings were constructed, including a wash house, a bakery, and a hospital inside the North Recreation Yard. Now, this is the second time since doing this podcast with you that I've heard of uh, prisoners building their own prisons that they're like staying in 
Was that like a common theme in the 1800s? Do you know? I mean, it's it's cheap labor because yeah. it's free. Right. Of um, course. You know what I mean? Like they have to serve a sentence, right. and that because I'm assuming the sentence was hard labor, right? Like you you seen like the movies of like the 1800s, like you're sentenced to right. ten years hard labor. It's yeah. That's that's so, the hard labor is you're that you're building that prison. Yeah, because this was all before the 13th, right? They didn't really have to pay them the 13th Amendment. Oh, so they yeah. didn't have to pay them or anything. So I just feel like that's like a weird oversight, though, for like leaving like prisoners making their own sneaky situations, I guess. At some yeah, point. I mean, like, but I feel like they were probably or... very well monitored, too. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You know, and if they weren't, then whose fucking fault is that, you know? Yeah, yeah, then I guess they deserve to escape. <laughs> exactly. So, in the next decades that followed, more improvements were made to the facility. Steam heat was added in the mid-1870s, uh, and local, and I'm sorry, and coal oil lamps were uh, replaced by electricity in 1900. Bricks were used for walkways and roads, which improved drainage and cleanliness of the grounds. The administration building was also improved with an elevator installed in 1894 and an exterior porch that actually made the prison look a bit more welcoming as opposed to a fortress. Yeah, right? I guess I guess it's never too late to make some improvements on your investment, huh? Well, I mean, the warden's got to have a balcony. Yeah, right? Definitely. Where else, where else are you going to take <laughs> those inmate ladies to? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. My wife is in the bedroom. We have to go out on the balcony. We had to go to the balcony. Uh, by the early 1900s, the prison also included several shops in which the inmates worked, including carpentry, paint, and wagon shops, stone and brickyards, a blacksmith, a tailor, a candlestick maker, a shoe shop, a bakery, and a hospital. I don't know if there was an actual candlestick maker, but the rest of them <laughs> were all actual places. Uh, and in addition... To a 200-plus acre prison farm, these industries helped to support the prison financially, and it was mostly self-sufficient. So prisoners also worked in the kitchen, stables, and wash house. So essentially, they literally the the kit like the prison didn't need anything from anyone. They had yeah. a farm for the food. They had everything that they needed for everything else. Yeah, they were just like their own self-sufficient little town, mm-hmm. except just run ecosystem. by convicts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah minor, and, minor details. It's run yeah. by convicts. It's run by convicts. They got their own candle shop. Ooh, you know, what could go wrong? <laughs> Would you like some sweets in the bakery? <laughs> oh my god! Thanks, to Stabby Joe. Yeah, right. <laughs> Killer Mike baking yep. you a nice uh, cinnamon roll. <laughs> Mike makes the best cinnamon rolls. Hey, what's he in for? Oh, he raped and murdered fourteen women. <laughs> But his sweets are but on par. damn, his cinnamon buns are great. <laughs> In 1921, a prison coal mine was opened about a mile away, which helped the facility with its energy needs and saved thousands of dollars every year. It also put inmates to work, some of whom were allowed to stay at the mine's camp under the supervision of the mine foreman. In 1925, two new water wells were drilled that supplied the penitentiary and in times of need could supply the city of Moundsville as well. Jesus. So, yeah, not only are they literally building their own settlements, but they're becoming a major, like, trader to, like, yeah, this the is, surrounding towns. This and is stuff. a huge, like, plus. Having this prison yeah. at this particular time is, like, the best thing that happened in Moundsville. 
yeah no kidding also having like just being able to stay at the mine uh, under the supervision of the foreman i guess that must be nice to not have to be in a cell all day well i mean just ask jeffrey epstein yeah right (laughs) (laughs) call back um so but now we're gonna start seeing it just go downhill Okay, fantastic. All things good until 1929. The prison, the size of the prison was doubled as overcrowding had become a problem. Prior to this time, three men were assigned to a five by seven foot cell with two prisoners sleeping on the bunks and the third sleeping on a mattress on the floor. Inmate labor was again used to build the new wing that was connected to the south side of the prison and was completed in 1939. So it took 10 years. Jesus, yeah. More expansion was also planned, though it was delayed by a steel shortage during World War II and wasn't entirely completed until 1959. It took 20 yeah. years. Which that's makes pretty, sense. That's, yeah. Holy crap, dude. That's crazy. And that has to be, like, crazy, crazy tight in there, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like, you know... I don't know anything about prison politics, but how do you think they decide sleeps on the floor? Um, I think someone just volunteers or gets stabbed by Stabby Joe. <laughs> I love the most straight lay, straight faced answer you could give me there. <laughs> just, um, <laughs> I think someone just volunteers to sleep on the floor. No wacky scenario here. Nope, nope. Not gonna, <laughs> not gonna play along with this. Chris trying to bring the humor. Jr. No. put the kibosh on it. I see that. Just swatting that, just spiking that volleyball, huh? <laughs> well, during these years, conditions worsened until the facility was ranked by the United States Department of Justice as one of the top ten most violent correctional facilities in the country, which is like a huge 180. Conditions began to deteriorate even more in the 50s when overcrowding once again became a major problem. Once again, three prisoners were forced into a five-by-seven-foot cell. That's, see, that's, that's, God, that's what gets me. It's like, and now it sounds like the, the overcrowding, bad conditions, violence on the rise. I like so they must be just like having like, what, one guard per prisoner? Like, well, yeah, I mean, you can only increase the staff so much. Right. So but I'm then, thinking about, like, the, the labor aspect. Like, they must... Well, right. And the, the other problem is is that, like, you put people... The more people you put into a confined space, like, we have... That's personal space is, is a real thing. You need, yeah. you know, a certain amount of personal space. So to be in a five-by-seven-foot cell with two other dudes where, like, you can't even, like, take a shit in peace... You know what I mean? Like, I don't know yeah. where, if the, the if the latrines were in the thing or, or if they had to go somewhere else. But it's like, you know, you it's like you've had roommates, right? Like you get on each other's nerves sometimes. Now, imagine you mm-hmm. all live in a five by seven instead of a freaking apartment. Right. Right. Yeah. No you know? way. Washing the dishes is going to be the least of your worries. Stabby Joe's yeah. coming at you. Yep. We're all getting stabby. <laughs> um, OK, so on November 7th, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. November 7th, 1979, there was a large prison break when 15 inmates escaped. Now, during the escape, inmate Ronald T. Williams stole a prison guard's service weapon, and when he encountered 23-year-old off-duty West Virginia State Trooper Philip S. Kesner, 
shot and killed him. For the next 18 months, Williams remained at large, committing crimes across the nation and killing a man in Arizona during a robbery. After making the FBI's 10 most wanted list, he was involved in a shootout with federal agents at George Washington Hotel in New York City in 1981 and was apprehended and returned to West Virginia to complete several life sentences. Which I think is the stupidest thing on the planet, by the way, because, like, who cares? It's, like, such an arbitrary thing. Oh, you've been sentenced to four life sentences. Yeah, but the guy's going to die, and when he dies, his life is over. That's it. Yeah, I, I don't know why, though, by life without parole is just not the, the go-to instead yeah. of just being, like, six life sentences. It's stupid. Yeah, But anyway, as of January 19th, uh, as of January 2019, he remained in West Virginia custody. I couldn't find anything else on him, whether or not he died. So, so, so he could still very much be alive in 2020. Still, that's nuts. So, mm-hmm. first of all, how cocky, right? Like you, you just you just break out of prison. You just go on a crime spree. You you, you <laughs> yeah. taunt the FBI. Like, lay low, like, dude. Yeah, right. You 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 got out of prison after having a life sentence. Like, go change your identity. Stop doing stupid shit. Also, second thing, I can't believe it almost took to the eighties to for like a, a major prison break. Oh, I know. Like, it, it almost took a hundred years. Yeah, because again, like, other than before we had the prison, it was basically just like, oh, we're out in the mining camps and we're drilling wells and yeah. we're, you know what I mean? I'm surprised one or two people didn't slip away during those I, times. I like, mean, they might have. I didn't, they, there was no significant, like, research that I could find on it. Um, yeah. This was, like, the major thing, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't find anything on other, I'm sure people tried to escape and stuff like that. Sure. But, but this was, like, the first major break, though, so. Right. Like, yeah. Now, during that prison break where 15 inmates broke out, the communication between the state and local police was said to have been poor, with local authorities hearing about the escape over the police scanner, which very well could have led to an earlier capture of the fugitives. Okay. It's so weird, because, like, and still to this day, like, our governments don't really talk to each other. Yeah. And it, it's just, like, a thing. Like It's bureaucracy. I wonder if it's got... it's, that's the definition of bureaucracy. Yeah. And, like, even, like, still to this day, like, we're not really communicating as well as we should be. We're just mm-hmm. throwing it all in the database and go, I don't know, if you're looking for them, look in the database. Yeah. Like, it's like there's no like, interdepartmental cooperation. It's just like, here, you, you, you just look. Just look here. Yeah. It's just everyone going, I did my part and just. Yep. Stupid. Su- it sucks. Yeah. So, by 1986, the prison was undergoing several problems, including loose security, plumbing issues, insect infestations, and once again, overcrowding with a population of more than 2,000 men. During this time, security was so loose that some described the facility as a cons prison, where most of the locks on the cells had been picked and inmates roamed the halls freely. On January 1st, 1986, when the prison was short-staffed due to holiday, inmates in the prison rioted. Of course. That's a shocker. Yep. I mean, these guys have nothing to lose, so why not just throw a riot on the, the first day of the new year? I like it. They yeah. were just celebrating the new year. Yeah, listen, they're, they, they're human. They're people. <laughs> so at about 5.30 p.m., 20 prisoners who belonged to a group called Avengers stormed the mess hall and attacked <laughs> Captain Glasslock. Which, these are all real names. <laughs> Five other officers... And a food service worker. 
All of them were slammed to the floor and handcuffed with the guard's handcuffs. More hostages were taken throughout the two-day upheaval. During the riot, three inmates were killed. Negotiations with Governor Arch A. Moore, Jr. resulted in a new list of rules and standards on which the prison would operate. None of the hostages were seriously injured. Yeah, this is like the the bad guy Avengers team that was assembling. It was just like, you had Captain Convict, you had Steel Bars Man, you had the Incredible Bulk, and uh, (laughs) you have Thor, because I have nothing, so you You just call him Thor Thor. 2, I guess. Yeah, Thor number two. (laughs) Convict Thor. (laughs) Convict Thor. Prison Thor. Prison (laughs) Jail Thor. I like that one. Yeah. All right, well, that same year, the West Virginia Supreme Court ruled that confinement to the 5 by 7 foot cells constituted cruel and unusual punishment. So over the next decade, the population was reduced due to the building of more prisons. By 1995, the facility held only 600 to 700 inmates when the decision was made to close the facility. Oh, that's good, at least. There's no more, you know, uh, bureaucratic chats about who's going to take the floor mattress uh anymore you know they uh, that those days are behind them they don't have to discuss it debate no more ruling on that right uh (laughs) they just they just all get their own bed not on the floor right exactly (laughs) (laughs) so that's the history of the prison but what about the mystery right i mean this is two yeah Yeah, I mean, the mystery to me is how there was no prison breaks really before the 79, so. (laughs) That's fair. All right, so there's two mysteries. The second (laughs) mystery is what makes this prison haunted? Because we haven't really covered anything that would, like, indicate a haunting. Yeah, yeah. Well, remember that Native American burial ground I was talking about earlier? Sure. Well, the old prison was built directly across from the Grave Creek Mound in the 1800s. So are you going to sit there and tell me that nothing was disturbed at that time? Because it's No way. Exactly. Yeah. So there's the start to your horror movie. But if that was it, we wouldn't be doing an episode on it. So here we go. (laughs) Hauntings have been reported since the early, I'm sorry, since as early as the 1930s. And during its 119-year tenure, approximately 998 men died in the prison. And of these, 36 were homicides. That's it? 36? Jesus Christ. What about the other 962? Suicide? Old age? Well, uh, but, you so know, the crazy food, thing is food. that like this is, this is a seriously high number. 36, 36? homicides. Yeah, th- like this prison is often referred to as one of the most violent prisons ever in 119 years 36 is considered high i guess i i guess i just don't know jail statistics well i mean let's let's be happy that shocks me yeah let's be happy about it i guess i don't know yeah i guess it's working right so from 1899 to 1959 94 men were executed in the prison with 85 men executed by hanging gotcha okay so those don't count as the murders but they are still murders Mm. these executions were open to the public until june 19th 1931 and you want to know why they stopped because in on june 19th 1931 (laughs) 
an inmate named Frank Heyer was hanged for murdering his wife. Okay. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Simple if, if, enough. Yeah, exactly. Except that when the trap door beneath him was opened and he fell, he was instantly decapitated. Ooh. And so afterwards, attendance at executions could only be by those who were invited. All right. Well, yeah, I guess you're just going to have to find your evening entertainment somewhere else then, huh? You live and you learn, huh? Yeah. Jesus Christ. The last man hanged at the prison was a a man named Bud Peterson from Logan County. And upon his death, he was buried in the prison cemetery because his family refused to claim his body. In the early days, hangings probably took place near the North Wagon Gate. Later... A 1929 publication states that the main hospital building was the location of the death row uh, and execution room. <laughs> cool. So they have the execution room in a hospital. So that's a, a tad bit of an oxymoron. Huh? That's the only way you can do it humanely, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're killing someone. So how humane that's, is it? I, well, get. that's I think that's the oxymoron is there's no like I'm not right. I, I, I don't really care about capital punishment like uh, one way or the other to me i don't care um you know yes it's a it's a burden on the taxpayers and blah 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 but there's no humane way to take a life no not really like that's what it boils down to whether or not you agree with capital punishment there's no humane way to kill someone it's it's still killing someone at the end of the day you're still killing somebody yeah but in 1949 the state legislator decided that electrocution was more humane than hanging. Of course. Of course. So nine men were killed in the electric chair before the state prohibited capital punishment in 1965. At that time, executions took place in a building called the Death House. Nice and ominous. Where there were four holding cells on the first floor. This building no longer stands. The idea of shooting high-voltage electricity through your body to kill you, the idea that that's more humane than hanging is just crazy to me. And, like, I honestly never really understood, like, when executing a prisoner, like, why don't we just, like, shoot them? You know what I mean? Like Firing squad. You're right. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, I know it's grim to say because, obviously, again, you're killing someone. What's the humanity in that? But, like... It's it's just cheap and effective, you know what yeah. I mean? Just just one done kind of thing. Just mm-hmm. I, when I, think, I just don't. We, we discussed it too in the um, the Pennsylvania prison, right? Because they had some some uh, shooting by fire or death by firing squads, right? And they said like the people who are chosen or volunteer to be in the firing squad, like they they each have a live bullet, but it's at different places in their magazine. So right. they open fire, but no one knows who the actual kill shot comes from because they're all firing at the same time. But their bullets are, you know, there's a bunch of blanks and one real one located somewhere randomly in their, their clip. Exactly. It's just, again, it's wild that we make such a, a weird contraption to kill people when you just, I know we have it made. We have it already. I, don't I know. know. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, other than, like, heart disease. <laughs> just, yeah. Just give them heart disease. That's humane. Just make, a like, a Rube Goldberg machine just, that just, like... Just make them you eat know, like fucking... The... Make them eat Wisconsin cheddar every day. <laughs> <laughs> just plug them up. Yep. Yeah. That's it. You're, you're toast. 
All right. So during mm-hmm. its 119 year life as a penitentiary, the facility as a penitentiary. Yeah, I, I'm having a hard time with that word today. The facility held some of the most violent killers, rapists, and many other criminals, many of whom never left the institution alive. So it comes as no surprise that this type of environment would leave behind more than a few spirits. Spirits? <laughs> spirits. But wait, Chris, <laughs> there's more. There's always more when ghosts get involved. Yeah, dog. <laughs> So staff have reported being accosted by invisible forces and strange echoes that are heard throughout the cell block. Something dark and sinister lurks in the bowels of the building also. Deep, deep, deep in the bowels of the prison. As far as far possibly, it it may be as far as the subcockles, Chris. (laughs) The subcockles. The subcockles. Maybe even the cockles. But prisoner R.D. Wall, who was a snitch, suffered punishment from fellow inmates because, Chris, snitches get stitches. That's right. Wall was jumped by three inmates, cut and stabbed, and and basically butchered into pieces. In 1951, inmate Paul Glenn built Old Sparky, the electric chair that carried out future executions at the prison before it was outlawed in 1965. And the prison also saw its fair share of violent riots and suicides, as we had discussed earlier. Okay, yeah. I jumped ahead, so... Okay, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to jump ahead on you. That's fine. Um, But the fact of the matter is... the, The thing that I found crazy is that an inmate built the electric chair. Yeah, that is that is absolutely crazy. Like, like en- please engineer engineer me something that's going to kill your fellow inmates. Right. Like, like build something that's going to kill anyone that sits in it. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you just refuse? I know. So one of the most famous hauntings is the tale of the Sugar Shack. R. D. Actually met his fate in the reception area or Sugar Shack. The room was dubbed the Sugar Shack since many fights, rapes, and murders occurred in this room. Because that makes sense. I guess it's an ironic name. The ghost of R.D. Wall haunts this area and can be found lurking in the dark corners. Mm. So you're getting haunted by like little chunks of meat piling up in the corner and (laughs) haunting the Sugar Shack to this day. (laughs) That might be the most ridiculous thing I've heard in 2020 so far. That's fair. It's also like two days into 2020 so hey break that fourth not wall, when this Chris. not when it comes out that's right break that fourth <laughs> wall but the deaths weren't the only black spot on the prison's reputation let's talk about the kicking jenny oh the kicking jenny let's hear yes. about I don't even like its name, so I'm sure it's wonderful. The Kicking Jenny is an instrument invented and built in the prison. It is made somewhat in the shape of a quarter circle, with the highest end about three or four feet above the platform upon which it is set. The prisoner is strapped naked and bends over upon the machine. His feet are fastened to the floor with ropes, while his hands, which are stretched over the upper end, are tied with ropes attached to small blocks, by which a tension so strong that the frame of the prisoner can almost be torn in two can be made with a slight pull. 
So essentially, you're bending over frontways, but your feet are like glued to the floor. Yeah. And then your arms are stretched out so that if anything happens, like your body, the tension is so tight that your body could be ripped in two. Jesus, man. Yeah. Like, goddamn, I know they're prisoners and everything, but it's just fucking cruel, man. Well, it gets it gets better. That's not the torture. Okay. Yeah, that's not the the point of the machine. That's the, that's not it. No, no, no. That just holds you in place, because after oh, the God. prisoner is placed in position, the superintendent or whoever does the whipping oh, okay. takes a heavy whip made of sole leather, two pieces of which about three feet long are sewed together, at the ends scraped slightly rounding. The lash being three inches broad at the handle tapering to a point with the whip the prisoner is beaten until he is almost dead or the strength of the man who is doing the whipping gives out it's a race to the finish yeah right it's an endurance race whether you're too tired to beat this man to death or he dies so yeah it's it's essentially like a challenge is who has more stamina (laughs) yeah goddamn i'm surprised they just don't behead him at the end and just be done with it i know well, that's because you got to save him for the hanging. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's also yeah. the shoe fly. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, not not shoe fly don't bother me and not shoe fly pie. But the, <laughs> the kicking Jenny was not the only instrument of torture. The shoe fly, an instrument so arranged that the victim could be placed with his feet in the stocks, his arms uh, pinioned and his head fastened so that he could not move it. Then someone would take the hose and turn the water full upon the prisoner's face. This was kept up until the victim was partially strangled to death. Uh, I can't even imagine how grossly brutal that is. It's like the beginning, like it's the, the early stages of like waterboarding. Yeah, that's what it's, it sounds almost exactly like waterboarding. So imagine a man receiving a stream of water from a one-inch nozzle, full in the face, without the power of changing his position. Then think of that stream being ice-cold water, and that will give you an idea of what this machine was. Jeez, dude. That, again, like, I know they're prisoners, and I know, like, they're doing time and stuff, but... Like, at one point, do you do you go... What the fuck am I doing to another human? You know what right. I mean? Like, like, at what point do you say, like, this is the most inhumane thing on the planet? We are fucked up people. Yeah. Well, there is a haunting that is especially frightening that occurs within the walls of Moundsville Prison. This particular spirit is commonly referred to as the Shadow Man. And this is because he often lurks in the midst of the shadows that cast their shade among the halls and cells in the structure. In addition to this, it is said that there are no visible features to witness. Uh, uh, to, I'm sorry, there are no visible features to witnesses of this ghostly apparition. He seems to be composed entirely of dark, ominous shadow that is highly intimidating to those that lay eyes on him. It's not known who is being, who this being may be. Many believe it's um, it may be a guard that kept check on cells in life. And then there are others who believe this may be an inmate trying to find his way out of the darkness that his soul is lost in. Nice, dude. It's like not at all ominous or troublesome. Just your friendly neighborhood shadow man. Absolutely. Just doing his rounds. (laughs) Just doing what he's got to do, man. 
<laughs> now, many notable individuals had been housed or at or associated with this haunted prison. One of which was Charles Manson. Manson. Charlie. Good old Manson. Manson. Charles Manson. <laughs> Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Manson. This individual has been considered to be one of the most dangerous-minded occult leaders in all of American history. In the 1960s, he had such influence over the people in his particular coven that he actually encouraged and convinced them to commit the various murders that were considered to be, quote-unquote, helter-skelter. At one point in his life, Charles Manson wrote a letter requesting to be transferred to the haunted prison. It's believed that he made this request because of the fact that he had relatives, friends, and few and fellow occultists that resided closely to the facility. While his request was denied, the handwritten letter can be seen on display while touring the prison. Okay. So, that's interesting. Uh, and I wonder, you know, assuming, again, occultism is real and everything, I wonder if he wanted to move there to get, like, the energy from the prison, seeing how it was built near the burial ground. Um... And maybe um, that was his real motive for moving so out I've, there. I've listened to a few Charles Manson podcasts, documentaries, like all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. I think that he was not as much of a mastermind as people thought he was. Yeah. No, in, the I, sense, yeah. in the sense of, like, he was the one that, like, gathered all these people together and all that kind of stuff. But, like, the actual Manson murders that took place with... Um, Oh, it's going to drive me nuts because I can't remember her name. The famous actress that they all killed um, and her friends and stuff. That was like that. That was the massacre that like, you know, led Shook to everything. All. Huh? Yeah. Sharon, Sharon that, Tate. That was... Sharon Tate. I knew I was going to get it. Um, so that all that happened. But he never told them to go do that. Like he never told them to go kill those people from what I understand. So, like, but at the same time, like, when he got caught, he, I think, like, just took responsibility and became this crazy person because he knew he was going to jail no matter what. And the right, best way right. for him, because he was a very small dude. So, like, the best way for him to, like, have this, to be safe in prison was to be a complete psychopath that no one wanted to, like, go near. That makes sense. I mean, that, that makes sense, right? Yeah. You just, you put the crazy the, on and then... The you last podcast on the left does a great mm -hmm. Manson series. Really, do really they? like, yeah. I mean, those guys, those guys do everything really, really well. And, you know, their, um, their research is always top notch, but the Manson one in, in particular was awesome. And yeah. like, I listened super to, informative. I, I didn't listen to a lot of their like Manson or like, um, like unsolved mystery kind of stuff, but I did listen to a lot of just like their paranormal ones. I just skipped mm -hmm. through their catalog and did all of like cryptozoology aliens you know that's fair anything paranormal i i download and listen to because they i forget his name but one of the guys on that podcast he's like super um passionate about conspiracy stuff and that that obviously resonates with me so yeah i think that's uh you're probably thinking of henry zabrowski yes yep that's him yeah so he's a crazy person yeah Probably. He's funny as hell, but he's yeah. Those those three guys are good. Anyway, you got to be a little bit crazy to believe in it. Tangent, all. tangent. Let's yes. let's bring it back. <laughs> now, despite my damnedest efforts, Chris, and uh, my my savvy interweb googling abilities, 
I was unable to find any documented firsthand accounts of people interacting or experiences with ghosts of the prison. I did, however, come across this short documentary video of the hauntings in the prison, and it's only five minutes, so we're going to play it for you now. And for those of you on iTunes, we'll also have a link to the video in the description. So if you want to see the actual video aspect of things, but you're still going to hear the audio now. And at that point, they stopped having public executions. The West Virginia State Penitentiary opened in 1876 and operated until 1995. It is now considered one of the nation's most haunted places. I have, I've been here for seven years and I, I had my first experience last year and, and since then I've, it creeps me. Though hundreds of deaths have occurred behind the walls of West Virginia State Pen, including over 300 murders and nearly 100 executions, paranormal activity wasn't prevalent until the closing of the jail in 1995. You know, a prisoner didn't ever want to die inside the institution because he felt that his soul stayed there. I worked in the healthcare field and it was one of our main objectives to make sure if somebody was going to die, we got him out of the institution uh, just simply so that they wouldn't have that feeling. Uh, there were certainly several other deaths, numerous other deaths that had to do with health reasons inside the institution early on. So I think it's a contributing factor. I think you put all that together, and I think that's how you come up with unexplainable issues maybe inside the prison. One of the most prolific killers in the institution, Red Snyder, is said to haunt the cell block in which he was murdered. When we had the riot in 86, Red Snyder was broken out of what we call the major lockup area of the institution. And killed another individual inside the institution with a very, very brutal murder that took, uh, as I understand it, probably an hour and a half to kill this other gentleman. But apparently there had been a plan over the last previous days that Red wasn't going to get to play anymore. And he was stabbed some 38 times when they broke the doors for wreck. Unfortunately, he was late getting up out of bed. Uh, they rode in on him and stabbed him uh, 38 times. We investigated an area of the prison known as the Sugar Shack. The Sugar Shack is one of the best places to encounter what was once the inmates of the state pen. Hello? In this area last year we were constructing the haunted house. I was going to work on this cabin. There was me and three other people here at the building at that time. My two co-workers were down in the casket ride area, working down in that area, and I come over here to work. I was carrying some tools in my hand, walking along, and I was walking right in this area, and something just grabbed me on the arm and tried to stop me from going any further. Hello? Give us a sign. It's on you. There you go. The pipes that's in this prison down here, or 90% of them are disconnected. They're not hooked to anything. If you get sounds through them, you know, I don't know what, the, what it is, but there's nothing in them pipes. We were not the first group to investigate the prison's haunted population. Other investigators have included MTV's Fear, the Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunters, and a group of filmmakers working for Steven Spielberg. 
We have had uh, numerous movie companies that have been in here and either made movies uh, in reference to the prison, not necessarily paranormal investigation, but had to do with prison life. Uh, we've most recently had an organization in here that was a Spielberg group uh, out of California. In fact, we've had about four groups out of California that come in here and spent time. Skeptics will argue that audio and video evidence can be doctored. To draw a conclusion on the validity of the hauntings at the pen, you have to encounter them firsthand. Luckily, during the summer, the prison offers tours and ghost hunts, ending the season with a haunted house at Halloween. Give yourself an opportunity to experience the prison before you decide whether or not to believe the stories resonating from the walls of West Virginia State Penitentiary. Until next time, this is Tom Larkin. There is a lot of things inside that institution that I'm sure that have stayed there that maybe are coming alive. So, before I say anything else, take it mm -hmm. with a grain of salt. Right, because, I mean, you can do anything with filming. Right, I, right. I can put sounds into this podcast right now that'll make you think that, like, something's going on behind me. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. also with, too, with that said, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of creepy. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, also, I, it's just one of those things, too. It's just like... You know, animals can be in there. It, it could be really, literally anything. Wind hits something right, piece of debris falls over, yep. whatever. But you know, it, I, it also could yeah. be ghosts. As far as I'm concerned, it, it could be ghosts. Listen, I didn't see the animal either, right? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, not to mention, if nothing was doctored, the fact that they said, "Give us a sign," and then like something clangs. <laughs> dude that, that was my favorite part because the dude's just like that's all i need <laughs> yep yep that's it i'm out <laughs> um but the prison is still utilized today as you saw in that video it's not only a tourist attraction but it's also a training ground and one thing i came across besides that um that haunted house that they do mm-hmm the other thing I came across while doing the research on this topic was an event at the prison from September of 2019. And it was West Virginia Penitentiary Ghost Hunt with Ghosts Nat, which I'm assuming is the name of the company. Yeah. I yeah. mean, this ought to be good. I'm, I'm yeah. so excited here, to hear about this. Here's a, a description of the, the festivities. Yeah. Hell yeah. Are you ready to spend the night hunting ghosts in one of the most haunted prisons in the United States? Yes. Okay. Yes, I am. Because on Friday, September 6, 2019, enter the prison gates of the former West Virginia State Penitentiary, also known as Moundsville, for the ghost hunting experience like no other with Ghosts Nat Paranormal Adventures. Moundsville has been featured on TV shows such as Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, and many more. Oh, nice. So Zach Bagans has been there, so that's a big pull for them. Yep. <laughs> During the first portion of the night, you will be paired with a real paranormal investigator. 
where you will be exploring m the most haunted areas of the penitentiary using the latest and greatest in ghost hunting equipment to try to make contact with the other side. You are free to bring your own equipment as well if you have any. That's actually pretty cool. Like, I, I don't have anything against this. This sounds great already. Okay. After that, we set you free to explore and ghost hunt on your own until really? 4 a.m. Really? If you're not too scared. Ghost Nat staff will be on hand to investigate as well and if you have any questions. Damn, dude. Like, I want to explore that abandoned prison. Okay. So, cost. $82 a person. Okay. Super reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. If you're... So, what I'm saying is, is that we may be doing this next year. Yes. Because I want to hit this and the Mothman Festival. Yes. If we can, yes. if we can make it work in the same week, I want to do both. Yes. Me too. Okay. Absolutely. Because that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. It sounds absolutely doable, so. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you could come here, we'll drive down or something. But it's, yeah, that's not that far. It's yeah. like 8, 10 hours, something like that. Um, but yes, I... We'll start playing this. We'll see if we can make this happen because I definitely want to do this. Yeah. And we and can I, write it off. <laughs> nice. That's even better. Because this and is I, a business I, expense. Hell yeah. Even better. So, yeah. That's how we're going to wrap up this time on the Mystery in Our History podcast. So, we will. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time, super fans. Bye. See ya. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions or topics for us to cover, email us at fourguysmedianetwork at gmail.com. If you're on the go, you can subscribe to our shows on iTunes. Be sure to check out our Patreon page, Four Guys Media Network, for access to exclusive content like minisodes and more. We have a lot of goals to hit, so we can keep improving and continue providing more content ad-free. So all of your donations are greatly appreciated. Make sure you subscribe to the Four Guys Media Network YouTube channel for all of our other projects by clicking the link on the right. And lastly, if you want to watch another episode, just click the link on the left. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.